Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you again for our time this morning where we can come together around your word. Thank you that we have it. Thank you that we have not been left as so many in our world as orphans. We have what we need. We have all we need for life and godliness. You've given to us from your word. Your word is power, is your very breath. Whatever you say will come to pass, will happen, has happened just as you have said it would. Your faithfulness to who you are and to what you say is eternally secure by your very character and nature. And so we are here to hear from you. May that happen this day as we hear your word, that we might be changed by it. For your glory, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It's not very often that I would come up to a time of preaching and say, I have a message this morning that I don't really want to preach, and yet I have a message that I do want to preach. I'm caught between this dilemma, not because I don't want to preach the message, but because it's a message that we have heard in the past. There was a, an old saying said years ago from a young pastor who was preaching. He preached a message in a church, and an old gentleman in the church came up to him later and said, that was a great message, Pastor, as oftentimes happens. And he said, thank you. And the next week he came, and the preacher preached the same message that he had preached before. And the old gentleman in the church thought, well, maybe something happened this week. He just didn't have time. Maybe there was a lot going on. And he didn't have time to prepare, so he's bringing the message he brought last week, and so he didn't say anything to him, and then the next week came about, and the preacher preached the same message again. And the old gentleman went up to the young pastor and said to him, you know, I've noticed over the last three weeks you've preached the same message to us over and over again, and I just want to say that you, you should be studying and, and, and really preaching messages that we, that we need to hear on a regular basis. And he said, sir, I appreciate that, and I certainly want to do that. When you start doing the message that I preached, I'll stop preaching it. Ouch. Sometimes, sometimes when it comes to the Scriptures, we, we just need to be reminded again. We just need to be reminded over and over and over again what we have heard over and over sometimes and over again. So I want to ask you this morning to take your Bibles with me and return to Romans chapter 14. Romans chapter 14. I want to revisit a portion of Scripture that we have studied in the past, but none of us were here in the building. None of us were here. We were video preaching only. Video preaching only. We were here, but we in this passage, when we were not meeting as a church because of concerns over a pandemic, a pandemic that has nonetheless caused for the church and revealed some things about the evangelical church at large that is not pretty. Things about us by which we have really started to judge one another when we don't think we're judging one another. It's a very important and providential portion of Scripture here in Romans 14. It was providential when we heard it some months ago in video only at the time because of how those concerns for the pandemic brought pressure upon us in our own lives and therefore how we live around each other as people, both in general, but most importantly, as people of the church. How we live with each other through all that is happening and all that has taken place, and therefore how we are to treat one another as Christians as we make various personal decisions in reference to the difficulty that God has allowed upon us in this world. 
you will notice that I have entitled this message, and it will be the next few to come, Critical Thinking When the Bible is Not Specific. Critical Thinking When the Bible is Not Specific. I believe when I preached it last time, I entitled it, How to Not Act Like God for the Sake of the Gospel in the Lives of Others. How to Not Act Like God for the sake of the gospel in the lives of others. Why? Because we're talking about personal decisions in our lives for which the Bible does not give us specific commands. For example, there are no direct commands, there are no direct prohibitions given in the Scriptures from Genesis chapter 1 all the way to Revelation chapter 22 as to whether a person is to be vaccinated or not not in there. You will not find it. You will not find anything that says anything about it. There are no portions of Scripture telling us what color shoes we should have worn this morning to our gathering. There are no kind of Scriptures that tell us what kind of home we are to live in, where we are to shop, or where we are to not shop. Whether we should or whether we should not have cable television or be on Facebook, or Twitter, or whatever other social media avenue someone may have. In other words, there are decisions and choices that we make each and every day of our lives that may contradict a decision made by someone else who is a Christian. In fact, it may be the very opposite decision And we may even disagree with the other person's decision as they have made it. But what we must not do is judge them. What we do in our relationship is the question. How are we to live? How are we to act around each other when decisions collide? And in this current pandemic, especially it seems when it comes to medical decisions, there is and continues to be opposite decisions occurring and opposite responses among professing believers in Jesus Christ that are less than God-honoring responses. So I believe... This is a necessary reminder again as to how we can critically think through these things individually, personally, corporately when the Bible doesn't give us direct command or prohibition. And I want to begin this morning by focusing our attention on Romans chapter 14 verses 1 to 12. Follow along as I read this for us. The Apostle Paul says, Now accept one, the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. One man has faith that he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats vegetables only. Let not him who eats regard with contempt him who does not eat, and let not him who does not eat judge him who eats, because God has accepted him. Who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master he stands or falls, and stand he will, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One man regards one day above another, another regards every day alike. Let each man be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it for the Lord, and he who eats does so for the Lord, for he gives thanks to God. And he who eats not, for the Lord he does not eat and gives thanks to God. For not one of us lives for himself, and not one of us dies for himself. For if we live, we live for the Lord, and if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be both Lord of both the dead and the living. 
But you, why do you judge your brother? Or you again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of God, for it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall give praise to God. So then, each one of us shall give an account of himself before God. Verse 13, therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather determine this, not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in another brother's way. Now this is just our jumping off point this morning. We're not going to get too deep into all of these verses this week. This is, this is really to set the groundwork for our thinking. As Christians, as Christians, we hold to the truth that the Bible is the very Word of God. Right? This is the creator of us, the creator of all that has ever been created, as all of us men were reminded Saturday morning by reading Genesis 1.1. This is the creator God who is giving us His words, and therefore it is the truth, and it is authoritative for all of life, that what it says is absolute truth because it is the very breath of God to us. And therefore, being that way and being as Christians, believing that and living according to that, at least intellectually in our lives, we understand and we recognize that it is filled with direct and clear commands for us to live by. There is plenty within the Scriptures, within the leather of your book, that tells us what to do and what not to do. And those commands reflect both the very nature and character of God, and are given to us, His children, for our good and for His glory. We know the Bible says, do not murder. And so we don't murder. We do not murder. In fact, we do not even conjure up a a sentiment of hate in our heart, because Jesus said that's really where it comes from. You have heard it said, thou shalt not murder, but I say to you, don't even hate. The Bible says, do not commit adultery, and so we don't commit adultery. We live by that command. It says that God hates liars, and we know that, and the Bible says for us to speak truth, to strive to speak truth in all areas of life, so we don't lie, we strive to speak truth. It says that we are to love one another, and so we seek out ways in which we love one another, that we're not to forsake the assembling together of the body as, a, as the, the corporate gathering of the church. We're not to forsake that. We're not to make that the habit of our lives. And so we come together. It gives us many, many commands like that. And all of those commands are clear. They're very definitive. They're very clear to understand. They are not difficult for any of us to comprehend. And if we know, and, and when, we, when those commands are being violated because they're so clear, we can address those with clarity because it's clear when those things are happening in our life. We know if we're lying, right? The Bible says, I don't lie. We know if we're lying. We can address that. It's clear. But there's a whole host of things in life, decisions that we make, things that we do, for which we do not have clear commands from Scripture. I mentioned some of those already. There is no Scripture, no chapter and verse that told me in my life when I was 24, this is the woman that you are to marry. There's no verse that said, "It's Terry, Rebecca is the woman you're to marry. No verse told me that. There's no chapter and verse that tells me to buy insurance or not. No chapter and verse that says this is the kind of car you should drive, and this one you should not drive, or these are the certain medications you should take. No Bible chapter, no Bible verse that tells us that. So the question and difficulty that arises is this. Since it is imperative that we are to be careful how we behave, Ensuring that we behave properly, 
That's in fact exactly what the Apostle Paul says in chapter 13, verse 13, you notice. Let us behave properly as in the day, not carousing in drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity, not in sensuality, not in strife and jealousy. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regards to its lust. That's how we're to live. Then how are we, if that's the standard and we know what the commands of the Scriptures are, then how are we going to make the best choices in these areas where there is no clear command from Scripture? More importantly... How are we going to how are we to see our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ who may do just the opposite from what we do? Well, the apostle Paul I think gives us some very helpful direction here in chapter 14. But we need to we need to have a few things in our minds as we begin. And like I said, this is just going to be the launching point for us. We need to have a few things in our mind as we begin. The first thing we need to have in our mind is Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Right? Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2 undergirds everything that is here. Everything we do, everything we think. In other words, we must not forget as Christians the exhortation that Paul gives here where he says, I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. That's just simply saying, listen, in light of the salvation that you have in Jesus Christ and all the things that go along with that, in light of the gospel, I urge you to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice which is acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. So this this life of willing submission to the things of God is your outwork of worship to God in all areas of your life. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed in your thinking, in your thoughts, in your mind, by the renewing of your mind. How? Have your mind saturated with the truth and not the things of the world that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. This is the undergirding reality of everything we're going to hear. The gospel and all that it entails in life and all that our life pictures in reference to the gospel to others who are watching us is everything to God. And so as we deal with what is here in chapter 14, we have to keep those two verses in our mind. We have to keep the truth and the principle and the foundation of those two things in our mind because they drive all of the action that Paul speaks about principally here in chapter 14. If we'll solidly have those two verses in our minds at all times, working it out, processing it out, thinking it through in everything that we are doing, and we are living in that attitude, then we'll have no trouble practicing what Paul says in Romans chapter 14. When we think through this, we can see that the Scriptures are very practical. The Scriptures are very down to earth. They deal with every area of life. Every area of life. But just claiming Christ as our Savior doesn't doesn't inherently solve all of the practical ways that I have to live. In other words, just saying, well, I'm a Christian doesn't solve all the ways in which I have to I have to process the word of God. And while I'm living out my Christian life, I still have to interact with other Christians and other non-Christians. I still have to interact with saved and unsaved people. I have to interact with both saved bosses and unsaved bosses. I have to live under good laws and bad laws. And so Paul sums up his exhortation in chapter 13 by telling us to live knowing that our time is limited here. Knowing our time is limited. Verse 11, and this do knowing 
the time that is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep, for now salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. What he's talking about is the return of Christ, Christ coming back. Now it's even closer. Every day is a day closer to the reality of Christ coming back. That could be at any moment. We are living in that moment, and therefore we should be living in recognition of that moment every day. We cannot have Christ returning one day while while we're living against the truth of the gospel, while we're carrying out our life as if the world is more important than than the Christian faith. We should be living with our eyes fixed on the return of Christ, being prepared for His coming. That should be the motivation for us to behave properly, as he said in verse 13 of chapter 13. But, sometimes, admittedly, this is happening today inside and outside of the church, Admittedly, with any number of issues related to this God-ordained pandemic that we have been in, sometimes it can be difficult for us to know which way to live. When the Bible hasn't given us direction specifically. And far too often because of that, We treat others in sinful ways rather than how we ought to treat one another. So the Apostle Paul here in chapter 14 begins to address proper Christian living in areas whereby there is no clear command from God. In other words, it's not as if we have no instruction as to how we are to live when there's no clear command. It's not like we just go, well, I, there's, there's nothing in the Bible on that, so I'll just kind of flip a coin. No. It isn't as if we have no instruction. We do have instruction, but it takes the form of general principles rather than specific clear commands. And these general principles help us navigate those areas where we as Christians may hold differing points of view and thereby make differing decisions. What kind of movies should a Christian watch? Can somebody please tell me? It's certainly clear that we're not to be involved with and commanded to remain away from that which is impure and, 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 and sexually immoral. That's clear. But that doesn't, that doesn't envelop all things that we could watch. So which ones? The G-rated, R-rated, Q-rated, whatever the ratings are these days, I don't know. What kind of clothes should we wear? What's the right response to this pandemic individually? What is it? What about vaccines? What's the right response to that individually from a biblical perspective? Can someone please give it to me? We all have thoughts. What about recommended health measures? What, what's the best one? We all have thoughts, but how do we decide? And more importantly, how do we treat each other when our decision disagrees with someone else? Well, there's no black and white answer given in Scripture to that, specifically anyway, but there are answers for these things We might even call them areas of conscience. Areas of conscience. Now you notice in Romans chapter 14, the one that Paul is dealing with has to do with food. Has to do with the setting apart of particular days or holy days. The the observance of certain kinds of outward practices that were going on in his day. Ours today, at least currently, have to deal with Primarily, and in the, 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 the one that flashes the loudest right now, is health concerns. How do we deal with those? And of course, these are big issues. 
for the Apostle Paul as he's writing. These are big issues that he's writing about in the early church because so many had come from pagan worship. So many had come out of worship that worshiped of those kinds of things. And, and much of those practices followed them with them into their Christianity. They were, they were informed about practices and various sources to those things. They were told about that, and yet it was hard for them to get rid of all of those things. So here's the question before us this morning and for the next few weeks. How do we live with each other when our views on these kind of things vary? How are we to process these decisions? More importantly, how are we to behave? And I think these are important questions. I think these are important questions because all of us believe inherently in us that what we're doing, whatever that may be, is in fact the right thing. And the thing sometimes we forget to ask ourselves is, is my behavior, what is, how is my behavior reflecting or deflecting from the gospel of Jesus Christ? So this is the first thing that I want us to remember. How we behave will have an impact upon the gospel. How we behave will have an impact upon the gospel. It will not have an impact as to the gospel, to its truthfulness, to what it is and, 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 and the truthfulness of it as we have it, but it will have an impact on what it produces and what others see. So that's the first thing that we must remember. The second thing we must remember is that each and every one of us is not the same. Each and every one of us is not the same. That, that of course, you're going, duh, pastor, I realize that. We're not stupid. We're adults here. I agree with that. I agree with that. But with some of us, right, our greater danger is that we tend to go to the excess in things. That's our danger. That's That's just how we've practiced life over time. In other words, our, our conscience may not be too bothered by certain things, and so therefore we go to excess in those things. It, it doesn't really bother us to go to excess in those certain areas where it should, maybe. And so oftentimes when something comes, we do nothing about it. We say, eh, it doesn't bother me, no big deal. Sometimes that's our response. And yet for others, the danger is that we have... Uh, sometimes a hypersensitive conscience on certain things. Our, our conscience can only handle very little, and, and it ought to be maybe able to deal with more in our conscience, and it can't deal with more, and so we don't do anything. Our intense response is to just coil up and not do what we ought to do. We're not the same. So maybe we should... Simply ask ourselves this question this morning as we begin. How do I live with my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the gospel, and not act like I'm the one superior over them? That's the question that Paul is helping us with here. In fact, notice how he begins in verse 1. Notice how he begins. Now, accept the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. We might call this the principle of exercising deference. Exercising deference for others, or, ex or the practice of deferring. Now, here's the difficulty we, fa we are faced with. Here's the difficulty, right? We all fall into two spiritual categories. We all fall into one of these two spiritual categories, and we flip-flop between them throughout our Christian life. Either we are living as strong-in-the-faith Christians, or we are living as weak-in-the-faith Christians, now, I want you to do something for me this morning, just for my own humor. 
Lift your hand this morning if you are a weak in the faith Christian. Got a couple. Now, lift your hand if you're strong in the faith Christian. Now, either all of you were lying before, or you just realize I'm trying to pull you out. Right? There are only two categories. You are either at any moment living as strong in the faith, or you're living as weak in the faith. But here's the kicker to it. Here's the kicker, regardless of you who raised your hand for the first question. Here's the kicker. No matter what category we are actually in, no matter what category we are actually in at any given time, we all believe we are in the strong in the faith group at all times. Let me say that again. No matter where we are at any given moment in our life, whatever category it is, no matter where we are actually at, we all believe we are in the strong in the faith group. In every decision we make, we believe our decision is being made by the position of being the strong in the faith one. In other words, none of us would ever believe that we are in the weak in the faith position when we make a decision about some area that isn't commanded in Scripture. Oh, sure, we might readily admit that we have weak in the faith times, like some of you did this morning. But that's not what Paul's talking about here. He's talking about weak in the faith, not being weak in faith. He's talking about being weak in the faith. And there's a difference, and I'll help us with that here in just a moment. The truth is that we all vacillate between being weak in the faith and being strong in the faith. And yet we always believe and carry ourselves in the position that we are strong in the faith. There are times when we have hypersensitive consciences to things, and thereby we don't do what we ought to do. And there are times that we listen to our conscience very little. We're open to a whole host of potential questionable activities. So notice the principle laid out for us here. Paul says in verse 1, Accept the one who is weak in faith. Notice it says in New American Standard, weak in faith, the actual original language carries the definite article there. Weak in the faith. Right? We, we contend for the faith, as Jude said. It's the faith. It's the body of truth. It's the gospel. We know that Paul is talking to true Christians. These aren't people who are out of faith. They're not out of the faith. I want to mention this because there's a difference here between being weak in faith and weak in the faith. Right? Being weak in faith means that you believe intellectually in, in things, right? But you are not ready to trust yourself to those things. Really doesn't matter whether it's Christian or not, you're weak in faith. But that's not what Paul's talking about. He's talking about being weak in the faith. In other words... This is a Christian who has a weak understanding and confidence in what Christian salvation means for life. This is someone who's weak in their understanding and confidence in the gospel as a totality and how it's to be lived out in life. These are Christians who are confused about the outworking of of their salvation in practical living. They're weak in the faith. Now, none of us would say that's us, right? We all fit to that category from time to time, but none of us think we do. 
So the weak in the faith, they're true Christians. They're in the faith, but they're those who at times lack confidence. They lack confidence about living out salvation as they ought to live, having their eyes fixed on the author and perfecter of their faith, particularly in these areas where there's no clear commands. They're just not sure. Or maybe they're making decisions that are uninformed. Like I said already, sometimes we all fit into that category. You say, how so? Well, how how do I fit in that category? Well, when we begin as Christians to relegate our acceptance with God to hinge upon what we do, that today God loves me because I'm reading my Bible, that today God actually really cares about me because I'm doing what he's asked me to do, That, that God loves me more today than maybe he did yesterday when I was sinning against him. When we do that, we are weak in the faith. There are times when all of us turn our Christian living into the reason why or why not God accepts us. We vacillate there at times. We change our sanctification into our justification. When we do that, we're weak in the faith. Here's how Paul put it to the Galatian believers in chapter 3, verse 2 and 3. This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now perfected by the flesh? Paul's saying, listen, you're going backwards. You're, you're, you don't understand the gospel. You don't understand what the gospel means in your practical living. They were being weak in the faith. There were people in the church who were having difficulties because they had relegated their justification back to their activity rather than simply to Christ alone. And so too today, it's the same thing. There are Christians in the evangelical church where they have difficulty as they live amongst other Christians because those Christians have chosen to exercise an informed conscience as they have informed themselves on decisions that have no direct relation to a command from Scripture or not, and they've exercised their decisions in an opposite direction. So what do they do? Oftentimes, sadly, we begin to judge one another. We begin to judge one another, and when we judge one another, guess what we're doing? We're saying, listen, I'm the one who's strong in the faith, You're the one who's weak in the faith. Anytime we say, oh, wait a minute. You're not as good as I am because you're not doing what I'm doing. Right there we are saying, guess what? I'm the one who's strong in the faith. You're the one who's weak in the faith. And oftentimes we we fight with each other over these stupid things. We begin to even despise each other. We get bitter with one another. We distance ourselves. We start to put up walls and build these brick walls and hold people accountable to to those very things. And, And relationships are destroyed and families are fractured. This is what's happening in the church today. This is what's happening over the pandemic. Churches are being destroyed and fractured and split over this kind of stuff. Churches are places of battle rather than worship. We're saying things like, if you're not doing that, you must not be a Christian. Oh, and if you are a Christian, well, certainly you're not loving your neighbor. And so here we are. We're face to face with this basic principle within Christian behavior. Dealing with those who are weak. Dealing with those who are the weak in faith. And this is the constant issue at hand. You say it's constant? Yeah, notice what he says in chapter 15, verse 1. Now we who are strong, I love how Paul says it. He just assumes everybody's right there because that's how everybody thinks. Now, we who are strong ought to bear the weaknesses of those without strength and not just please ourselves. Sometimes we are strong, and oftentimes we are 
the weak, thinking we are the strong. Notice that Paul's exhortation in chapter 14 is to the strong. To the strong in the faith. Because he says, except the one who is weak in the faith. He wouldn't be telling the weak in the faith to do that. The weak in the faith don't do that. They're the ones going around trying to figure out how to live. And somebody else comes along and judging them for how they're living. Well, this is to the strong in the faith. And that means all of us, because none of us think we are weak in the faith. Especially when we make decisions in life, we believe that we have thought it through, we've thought every contingency through, we have read all of the information, we have, we have filled our minds with every detail that we need to feel with, uh, a field, and we have gathered all of it in the correct form. We are the ones who are the storehouse of all that is right, and our decision is in fact the direction that everyone should go, and thereby we declare that decision to the weak that their direction is the wrong way. So the implication of verse 1 is for those who are not weak to accept those who are weak. Now I said the tendency when it comes to these areas of life and looking at how others are living, if I think that someone else is wrong, then inevitably I'm placing myself or I'm recognizing myself in the place of being the strong in the faith position. I'm assuming that I am strong. If I'm saying my way is the way and everybody else is going a different direction and I'm saying, well, they're just wacky and yet it's not a command of Scripture then I have to, I have placed myself in the strong in the faith position. So how can I ensure that I'm actually strong in the faith and therefore ensure that I will behave properly before God and before the weak in the faith for the sake of the gospel? Maybe a better way to ask it is this way. What's the difference between a weak in the faith person and a strong in the faith person? Or what causes someone to not be actually strong in the faith? What causes someone to not be actually strong in the faith, even though they might think they are? So just let me give you three factors that influence Christian living. Like I said, this is just a launch point this morning. Let me just give us three factors that influence our Christian living, either negatively or positively, depending on what we do with them. One is a lack of biblical teaching. A lack of biblical teaching. Some people are weak in the faith because they've never really been taught. May not be direct fault of theirs. There are plenty of genuine believers, genuine Christians who are in places that never really teach the Scriptures. I hope none of us here would say that about this place. I hope you would say, well, there's one thing for sure. We may get things wrong as we go along and we work to correct them, but one thing's for sure. We look at the Bible here and want to understand what the Bible says, whether it's Sunday school, whether it's children's ministry, whether it's youth ministries, whatever it is, whether it's Bible studies here and away, we want to know what the Bible says. But not everybody's like that. Not every church is like that. They don't know any different. People grow up in churches like that. They don't know any different. They've never been taught. Someone was used by God to bring them to faith in Him. That person themselves was a baby in Christ. They knew that they ought to be in church, and so they, they directed them to a church that was maybe closest to them, or, or somebody else recommended that they go to this place. But either way, they're in a place that only mentions the Bible, never really teaches it to understand the Bible. 
And even the books that they might be reading or recommended to read, if someone recommends them, they're Christian self-help books. They're the top ten lists you find in the Christian bookstore, which really aren't typically helpful at all. They just give surface solutions to what are deep heart and sin problems. And so what do they do? They remain weak. They're weak in the faith. That's one cause of remaining weak in the faith, just a lack of biblical teaching. So if we're going to be strong, if we're going to be strong in the faith in an actual way, actually strong in the faith, then we need to hear and we need to heed the teaching whereby the Bible is taught and explained. We need to listen to it, and we need to listen with activity in our mind and our heart, and we need to then by take those principles and put them into practice. We'll be strong in the faith. There's another contributing factor to being weak in the faith. Not being strong in the faith. How long someone has been saved. You say, wait a minute, that sounds very subjective. How long somebody's saved. Obviously, there's no guarantee. No guarantee that someone who's been saved a long time will in fact be mature, right? We're all born spiritual babies, And as spiritual babies, we don't know everything, right? You're not going to let your newborn infant or your toddler at home take the keys to the car if they say, hey, I want the car. You're not going to give it to them. They don't know everything. We need to grow. We need to develop. We need to mature. We need to be fed. We need to be nurtured. In fact, the whole Bible or the whole reason we have the the church epistles is for that very reason, right? Paul said to the church in Ephesians chapter 4 that that there have been given to the church elders and pastors for the equipping of the saints. We are to be equipped. Why? Because we don't know everything. Those who are church leaders, those who are pastors, cannot be novices in the faith. That's what 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1 says. Cannot be a novice in the faith. They're to be spiritually mature in knowledge and in experience. It's kind of funny because even the secular world understands that. Even the secular world understands that, right? You don't go to college to learn under someone who is undereducated or uneducated, even though many professors today seem like they are uneducated. You know, you go, you go to someone who, who has been educated in the discipline for which you are studying. That's the same in the church. How long we've been saved, how long we've been practicing and learning is a factor in our spiritual growth. Someone's going to say, right? I know somebody who's been a Christian a long time. They're certainly not a... Strong in the faith person. They're not someone who's mature. They're a baby in, a baby Christian at best. It's true, sadly. Sometimes that happens. When Christians get saved. They've been saved a long time. They've been stagnant forever. Why? Because of the first principle, they're not taught. And two, they don't put to practice what they do here. And so this is our third factor, right? This is the third factor why we can be weak in the faith is our diligence and application of what we hear from the Bible in our Christian lives is lacking. We're either strong or we're weak based upon that at times. When when we're saved, we're given spiritual life. We have new life in Christ. We are a new creature in Christ. We're given the Spirit of God. Our our minds are to be renewed by the, the regular intake of the Word of God on a regular basis. We're to be both personally doing that. We're to be corporately doing that. We're to be together with other Christians doing that. The principles that God gives us by His Word are to be talked about and put into practice in our lives on a regular basis, and if we neglect that, we neglect to listen to the Word of God being taught and being preached, we neglect that, thereby we neglect putting it into practice, and if we don't put it into practice, we will not grow, and as a result, we will remain weak in the faith. We will not fully grasp all that the gospel has for us in Jesus Christ. We'll talk about it. We'll seem like we are. We'll, we'll even express ourselves as, well. I've been a Christian a long time. 
but our lives don't reflect it. This is what Paul was saying to the Corinthian believers. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 to 3. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual men, but as to men of flesh, as to infants in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food. Why? Because you were not able to receive it. Indeed, even now you're not able. Why? Because you're still fleshly. For since there's jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly and are you not walking like mere men? Paul's saying, listen, you, you claim to have this grand relationship with Jesus Christ. You claim to be mature Christians, and I can't even talk to you about the things that you really need to hear, the meaty things. Why? Because your behavior shows you're just a, a weak-in-the-faith person. The way you're acting, there's jealousy and strife among you. Guess what? That's weak-in-the-faith activity. It's not strong in the faith. I can't give you what I desire and what you need. Why? Because you haven't developed. You haven't grown. The writer of Hebrews says similar things in Hebrews chapter 5. He says, concerning him, verse 11 through 14, concerning him, we have much to say, and it's hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers... You have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. You've been saved a long time. You should be in yourselves be teachers by all that you've heard and all that you should have been applying in your life and growing in your life. But you're not there. You need someone to go back all the way to the beginning and tell you the very basic things about God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he's an infant. But solid food is for the mature. You say, how did they mature? Paul, or the writer of Hebrews says, who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. See, by practicing what they've heard, by putting into practice the truth that has been explained to them, they have had their senses trained to discern, to differentiate, to make decisions that are in the direction that is best, remains in the direction of what is good and away from what is evil. So what's the point? The point is, is that if we neglect the means of growth that God has given us, we neglect those in our lives personally and corporately if we fail to use them and to engage ourselves in them. All of those things, all of those truth principles that are meant to make us strong in the faith, they don't do us any good. Even though we go around claiming we're strong in the faith. We're saying, hey, everything I'm doing is the, is the way it should be. It's the way we should go. I can't believe you do that. We're actually looking like weak in the faith Christians in our practice, but we're claiming we're strong in the faith. Why? Because none of those things that we know to be true and right, the teaching we hear, the practice, the application of what we ought to be doing, do us no good. We remain weak even though we think we're strong. And our behavior is the thing that shows exactly who we are. I think that's one of the greatest problems in the evangelical church today. I think this is why during the pandemic, why during this time in our Christian lives, so many churches are having major issues between Christians over issues that should not be issues. They have neglected those things. Untaught people who have not practiced what they've heard, who have not grown, believing that they are strong when in fact they are weak. And this is what Paul is speaking about here in Romans 14. He's making the biblical assumption, addressing us as to where all of us believe we are. We're all in this strong position, at least in our own minds. So therefore, here's how the strong are to behave. That's how he approaches this. This is where we all believe we are. If that's where we are, this is how we are to behave. So what are the strong in the faith specifically to do? 
Everybody want to stay for another hour? Sadly, we're out of time, but I want us to turn over for a moment to James chapter 3. Just to kind of lock this in our minds this morning as we walk away thinking about this and coming back next week, and we've probably got all kinds of questions flooding our minds. That's okay. If you got questions, we'll try to answer them over the next couple of weeks, and if you still have them, you can talk to myself and Russ, Neil, whoever else, one of the leaders. Notice what James says. Chapter 3, verse 13, Who among you is wise and understanding? That's a rhetorical question, by the way, because none of us would say, well, I'm just stupid and I lack any kind of understanding. James said, oh, all of you, okay. So we're all in that strong position. We're all wise, we all have understanding. Oh, yeah, I got understanding. Okay, then let him show it by his what? It's good behavior, his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. Okay, all right, so how I live. I, okay, if, I, if I'm wise and I have understanding, if I believe the gospel, I, I trust the Lord, I'm walking by this faith, I'm living that out, I'm making these decisions in life. Okay, I have this wisdom and understanding. Okay, I need to show it by how I live. I need to have this behavior in my, my activity, my deeds in gentleness of wisdom, of skilled living. What wisdom mean? But, stark contrast, verse 14, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, don't be arrogant and lie against the truth. In other words, be honest with yourself here. There's something in your heart that's, a, that's an issue because somebody else isn't living like you. It's not a clear command of Scripture. They're not sinning from some clear command of Scripture, but they're not making the same decision you are. And there's just an angst in you. Listen, be honest with yourself. Don't, Don't lie against yourself. Don't lie against the truth. Because that kind of wisdom, even though you said you were wise and understanding, that kind of wisdom isn't isn't what comes from God. It's what? Earthly, natural, and demonic. Earthly, natural, demonic. It's not of the realm of spiritual living at all. Because where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there's disorder and every kind of evil thing. That's what you see going on. There's strife. That's what selfishness means, selfish ambition is, jealousy and strife. There's fighting. There's just infighting going on. There's discord and everything going on. Why? Because we think we're wise and understanding, but we're treating one another with all this kind of nonsense. We say we're spiritual, but really we're acting as if we're not. Wisdom from above, verse 17, is pure. It means undefiled. It doesn't have any contaminant in it at all. It's pure peaceable, gentle, reasonable. Oh, there's a word we don't like. Some of your texts, I hope, says this, willing to yield. Willing to yield, because that's what it means. Reasonable means willing to yield. I don't want to yield my place. Full of mercy, full of good fruits, unwavering without hypocrisy. Beloved, that is what the Apostle Paul is talking about. The one who is strong is to accept the one who is faith, who is weak in the faith, but not, and we'll see this next week, not for the purpose of passing a judgment on their opinion. That's where the trouble comes. We don't like how you came to your decision. And so I want to make sure I square you up. When we do that, we are actually showing ourselves to be weak in the faith, not strong in the faith. Let's pray. Father, 
I pray this was not confusing to your people. I pray that this was necessary for us to hear for the sake of your honor. Lord, I don't like, we should not like what we see happening in evangelicalism in our day in reference to the things that you have allowed. Lord, give us maturity, give us wisdom, true wisdom from above. Not masquerading as wisdom, but it's earthly. Help us to love as we ought to love, treat one another as we ought to treat one another in attitude, even where we differ. For the sake of the gospel, for the sake of your glory, the honor of your great name. Use us today, bring us back tonight to rejoice with the wonder of salvation in the lives of those who are going to be baptized. And may all of this honor you. To that end we pray in Jesus' name, amen.